Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. I hope you're doing well. And if you're new here, every Saturday we break down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee. With that being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about Chainlink, Avalanche, Thorchain, the crypto markets, our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment, and more. So make sure that you stick around for all of these updates. Now, as always, let's kick it off with questions from you, the awesome folks who support crypto over coffee. And if you want one of your questions answered, please do leave them in the comments down below the YouTube video. You can also tweet me at Hishoshi4. And if you would be so inclined, please do subscribe to the channel, hit the bell notification button, or follow the podcast on your platform of choice so you get a heads up whenever I post new episodes of Crypto Over Coffee across platforms. And finally, if you are a Cardano ADA holder, please do consider delegating to my stake pool with the ticker symbol H4SH really helps the channel and I thank you in advance for that and get some great rewards rolling out in good old ADA. All right, so let's dive into the questions here and uh, go ahead and get started with those. Now, the very first question of the day is from Crypto Caveman. Question is, MetaMask does not have any security besides a password. Is this safe and why don't they have 2FA yet with lots of exclamation points and question marks? Yes, this is a question that I actually get quite often, and it's about the security of these wallets, it's particularly MetaMask, because people are often using it in the browser. You hear about people losing their money with MetaMask, and I'll explain that. So the foundation of MetaMask security is basically this. It uses your browser to store your private key in an encrypted format. The encryption is based off of a user-provided uh, password. So the password that you create on your MetaMask account is how it decrypts your private key in effect to be used to sign transactions as you interact with dApps or transfer cryptocurrency, so on and so forth. So this is for all intents and purposes, a secure way of doing it foundationally. Is it the best way? No, because it's still a connected wallet. If your password is not strong enough and someone were to gain access to your file system, they could theoretically grab your private key and decrypt it. So the password is the critical thing. You need to use a good password, preferably something long, something random, and that doesn't contain a bunch of dictionary words. A passphrase is great. So some, let's like a phrase with a bunch of numbers and letters. Anyways, use a password manager if you can. Not being said, the security there is, is adequate. 2FA is not a factor in this, even though I think it theoretically should be. Uh, I don't know exactly why. Though there haven't really been any instances that I can see that have resulted in a hack of MetaMask. So if it's not broken, don't fix it, I guess, is the approach. The times you do hear about MetaMask getting hacked are actually not MetaMask getting hacked at all. It's actually people making a mistake and getting fished using fake MetaMasks. So it asks you to put in your seed phrase, which you should never, ever do anywhere online and it subsequently steals funds. So it's basically fake MetaMasks pretending to be the real one and people lose their funds. That's generally how this works. So therefore, if you wanna use MetaMask, make sure you keep only less than about $2,000 worth of crypto maximum in there. That's at least my rule for myself and subsequently use a really good long random password because that is the key to security, pun intended. And finally, be very wary of phishing attempts. Make sure you're checking that the Chrome uh, extension that you are using in your browser is in fact legit MetaMask and do not enter your seed phrase anywhere unless you are 100% sure it is only the MetaMask extension as you're restoring a wallet. Okay, we're good there. Perfect. Second question of the day is from Shai Prednik. 
Where do you see these meme coins in the industry? Do they serve a purpose? How do you juxtapose the negative and the positive there? What's the long-term effect they're having? Uh, any immediate negatives taking funds away from legit projects. So there's a lot to unpack here, but generally this is about meme coins like the many dog coins that are out there, like SafeMoon, basically coins that are getting pumped up because of hype. Maybe you could argue don't have as much real world utility, maybe not a lot of time spent building them, what have you. So I think there's two sides to this. I think that meme coins are actually a great way to bring people into the space, whether their first experience is maybe uh, negatively connotated if you think about it because oftentimes these coins are very volatile someone that comes in at the top end of uh, you know for example a dogecoin pump cycle then loses a ton of money might then become a person who hates crypto forever because of that experience thinking it's not legit thinking it's a scam that's a problem but if you can use that sort of as a conduit to bring people into the conversation around crypto and they can quickly realize you know there are other projects out there that are doing amazing things to help them understand what's so special about this space, what positive impact it can have, I think it can be a positive. It's really tough when you start to put that on like the the teeter-totter of justice and wonder, is the positive, the potential positive outweighing the negative here? I actually think it's probably tilted more in the negative because it's more likely that people that come into crypto thinking it's a get-rich-quick scheme because of something like uh, you know, a quick moon on a meme coin will quickly get frustrated when it goes down thinking crypto is a scam. So that's the tough part. But long term, right, I think meme coins are a means to an end. They are a a fad and they will eventually start to wear down, similar to how the Internet boom went. Right. There were a lot of projects that might not have had quite uh, the impact or have built something quite so special that still were heavily funded and heavily hyped. And of course, you remember what happened then. Everything sort of deflated. The bubble popped in full and you were left with the the creme de la creme, what rose to the top. I don't know why that's so hard for me to say. Anyway, speaking of that, time for my latte where I tried to make a heart latte art and it looked more like a certain male body part. But anyway, just one sec. Anyways, the idea that I'm trying to get across here is that meme coins can, you can point to some positives with meme coins, but overall, I think they are probably a net negative for the space if you look at it in a broad sense. Uh, so thank you very much for your question, Shy. All right, third question of the day is from Batty2. Happy birthday to Hashoshi's wife. Thank you. My wife's birthday was a week ago today. Uh, are each blockchain protocol having their own programming language? Why is it necessary for a newbie with no programming language or, or no programming experience, excuse me, to learn a web 2.0 programming language if he or she wants to become a blockchain smart contract or decentralized application developer? This is also a really great question. So... Each blockchain doesn't necessarily have its own programming language per se. A lot of blockchains are built using traditional programming languages. So Bitcoin is C++ or C language family, that, that broad family of languages. If you look at um, another protocol, right, like Polkadot, there's a lot of stuff being built there in Rust. So there's a ton of really interesting stuff going on in the space in terms of how blockchains are actually built. In terms of what smart contract languages are supported, again, you start to see a lot of, of use around Solidity, which if I really thought about it, it's kind of like an amalgamation of different languages, like it takes some things from C and things from JavaScript language. It's an interesting kind of beast there. So Solidity is very popular. You also have this sort of trend towards WebAssembly, which is basically support for many different languages in this, uh, in this family of, of uh, execution environments. 
there's a lot of different things that go into the decision around what programming language to use. The reason that often people suggest learning a traditional programming language like uh, like a C language or JavaScript or Python or Golang is because oftentimes the, the thing that you learn in learning those languages is you learn programming fundamentals. You learn foundational computer science sort of uh, knowledge and skills, which can then be applied to a much more complicated environment to build in, in in blockchain and in smart contracts. I think that's why. It's sort of the natural progression. Of course, you can start by learning Solidity, and a great place to do that is on CryptoZombies.io. It's a great little tutorial to see if it's for you. But I really do think you should start with the traditional language because then the skills that you learn there can also be ported to another traditional programming job or an internships and stuff where you can get experience, and that is the key. So that would be why. Thank you for your question. And finally, Michael Amos, how could a service like Ledin factor into a cold storage device like Ledger Nano X? Is it either one or is it a split of some kind? I'm trying to figure out how to get my three coins, Bitcoin, Ether, and ADA off of Coinbase. Anyways, okay, so here's here's the idea here. You have cold storage, which is something like a Ledger Nano X, a Trezor, a BC Vault, a Keystone wallet, all those sorts of things. Those are great. You should have a hardware wallet Particularly if you have more than a few hundred bucks in crypto, you need to have a hardware wallet. It is just a non-negotiable thing. You need to get familiar with using a hardware wallet. It's not super difficult, and there are tutorials all over the web on it. The reason is because you want to own your own keys, and you want them to not be internet connected. You don't want hot wallets, meaning wallets that are on a device that are connected to the internet at all times, or can be connected to the internet. You want it on cold storage, which reduces the attack surface and the number of vulnerabilities that you could have to getting those private keys stolen, which would let a hacker spend your funds and take them. On the other hand, you have services like Ledin or Celsius or BlockFi who are custodial services who hold the keys for you, right? So it's not it's a it's a custodial service. They're holding your keys. But they use those keys to of course lend your cryptocurrency and they give you yields in return. So they're two very separate things. And it really depends on your risk profile. If you're okay earning yield on a platform that is in a custody environment, like something like Celsius or Ledin, to earn yield on your Bitcoin, for example, totally go ahead and do that. Others will tell you never do that. Only do this stuff on on cold storage. To me, it's completely up to you what you want to do. I recommend keeping the majority of your crypto in cold storage. And you can keep a small fraction to earn you yield in something like Celsius or BlockFi or Ledin. Of course, I really like Ledin. They do sponsor the show, so just transparency there. But what I will say is just know the risks because there are risks with both sides of things. You are accountable and responsible for good practices and doing things correctly when you own the keys, and you also have risk when it comes to someone else misappropriating your keys or doing something wrong with your keys when someone else is doing it for you in a custodial environment. So that's the juxtaposition that you have to decide for yourself what's best for you. And with that, let's go ahead and move on to the news section of the day. Now, just a friendly reminder, please be aware of scammers that are in the comments posing as me and other crypto YouTubers. I do not have a WhatsApp. I will not ask you to contact me, and I won't do weird characters in the comments. It's very clear it's not me. So if the comment does not have the name highlighted like you see here on the screen, it is not me, and you can report them. So please be safe out there, and do not send funds to anyone. Now, in partnership with the folks at Keystone, I give away a Keystone tablet steel seed phrase backup device in every episode by picking a random comment from the video, and I also will give away one Keystone hardware wallet per month. 
Just for transparency, the product is only available in select regions. So if you win and you're from an unsupported region, I will just send you some Bitcoin instead. So the winner of last week's giveaway for the Keystone tablet is here on the screen. And of course, a huge congratulations to you. And I will be in touch for you to claim your prize. The crypto market update today, folks, which is where we always start, is actually for once a positive one. I'm pleased to say that after weeks of pretty downer updates, this one's good. <laughs> this week, prices for Bitcoin, Ether, and a reasonable portion of altcoins trended upwards after what has been a really rough two weeks, seeing Bitcoin and Ether lose psychological levels of 30000 and 2000 respectively. Now, where I sit right now recording this, which is likely obsolete already due to volatility by the time that you see it, Bitcoin is back well over 30K, looking strong as it approaches 34K plus, and Ether is well over 2000 as well, I think over 2100. It's nice to see green in the markets, even if we're nowhere close to all-time highs. Now, why is this happening? Well, there are two reasons that I can think of. First, the big elephant in the room was the grayscale GBTC share unlock that we talked about last weekend. The largest swath of Bitcoin shares were unlocked a week ago on July 17th, and I feel that that fear was priced into the market, along with the, of course, traditional market sell-off in the stock market, for example, that seemed to land right at the same time. After that fear subsided and folks realized that the world wasn't ending after all, I think sentiment rebounded a little bit. People were relieved and we brought us back to some positive buying patterns. Secondly, the B-word debate held by ARK Invest with Kathy Wood, Elon Musk, and Jack Dorsey to talk about Bitcoin, its impact, and energy usage really helped as well. Even though I don't like that billionaires have such influence here, I think that people hearing Elon Musk isn't selling Bitcoin, that he holds Bitcoin and Ether and that Tesla will likely resume Bitcoin payments really made people feel better. I don't agree with why it matters so much to people, but I understand that it does. So undoubtedly that helped shed some negative sentiment after all as well. So the question is, where do we go from here? And the answer is no one actually knows. So please be very careful and don't get sold on the, oh, we're bullish now, new all-time high next week hype train that I know is going to be brewing. It's like clockwork. It's bearish, 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 bearish. And then one day the market turns green and we are back to all-time high talk. So let's just be careful here. Could we see 40,000 again soon for Bitcoin? Yes. Is it guaranteed? No way. So just please, please be careful out there, folks. In other news, Ether holders are likely feeling a nice positive price bump this week, which is very likely derivative of the impending update bringing fee burning to Ethereum's mainnet by way of EIP-1559 in the London hard fork in early August. However, that is not the story here. The story is in fact the other big update that we got for Ethereum this week in the form of another new Ethereum improvement proposal, eip 3675, which outlines the latest plan for merging the current Ethereum proof-of-work mainnet into the fledgling Ethereum 2.0 proof-of-stake network that exists right now as a beacon chain, but otherwise doesn't have a whole lot of functionality outside of that proof-of-stake mechanism. I will leave the actual EIP document link to GitHub for anyone who wants to, you know, dive deeper into this, but the absolute most succinct way I can explain what this proposal is suggesting is that given the exploit and drama-free eight months or so that the current Ethereum 2.0 beacon chain has run with proof of stake, now is the time to make changes to the underlying mechanics of the current Ethereum 1.0 proof of work mainnet that we use today in order to effectively delegate security from consensus on Ethereum 1.0 to Ethereum 2.0's proof-of-stake mechanism. I know I said simple, that's not simple. Essentially, we wanna use proof-of-stake on the Ethereum 2.0 chain 
and replace and use that to replace what's on Ethereum 1.0 right now. This would effectively mean that the current Ethereum network would operate largely as is in regard to smart contracts and things like that, but would be shifted to new block making mechanics in proof of stake. Of course, relying on security guarantees from the Ethereum 2.0 spec network. Now, there are two things I want to say here. First, this is a cool idea. It's feasible, but it is far from a guarantee because this is going to have to be validated very, very heavily before it is actually done on mainnet. Second, this does not mean that Ethereum 2.0 is launching this year or even in the first month or two of 2022. I would be willing to wager that this does not actually happen till next summer. And actually, I lied. There's a third thing. Simply changing consensus is not the end of the road. There is a lot that has to happen for Ethereum 2.0's vision and spec to be truly complete. So it's going to be more than just this consensus hot swap, if you will. Very exciting stuff, but I want to quell the inevitable hype that's going to start to roll from this. So this one is a wait and watch type of scenario. All right. Now, I'm not still fully willing to forgive the series of back office blunders that led to Ledger, the French crypto hardware wallet company, allowing large quantities of customer data to be leaked to hackers in a series of cybersecurity failures in their e-commerce side of things. At least that's what was reported. That said, their hardware wallets themselves have served many customers well and do represent a compelling option with adequate security for users who want to have a wallet that can integrate with web wallets, MetaMask, and more. I still use my Nano S that I got approximately four years ago now, so I'm not just, you know, filling your head with nonsense. I still use it. I also recommend that everyone who holds more than a few hundred bucks in crypto to please use a hardware wallet and stop relying on exchanges to hold your crypto. That said, wallets rarely go on sale, so I want to shout them out when they do, in fact, go on sale. So right now, there is a sale at Ledger for 30% off the Ledger Nano S wallet, which is a good entry point for new crypto users and first-time hardware wallet owners. This discount is part of their DAPS League contest, which basically lets you put in a special coupon code for 30% off at checkout, which also counts for a vote for your favorite DAP. I went ahead and bought one to vote for Ave because, well, I love them. And if you want to grab a Ledger Nano S for the cheapest price I've seen in 2021, then feel free to check out the promo using my referral link down below. But there is no pressure, and this is not a sponsored segment. Speaking of security, I am sad to say also that one project I am fond of has had a really rough time lately with exploits, and that is ThorChain. The cross-chain exchange and swap protocol driven by what are effectively bridges between blockchains and liquidity pools has suffered two major exploits that have cost tens of millions in funds. This latest exploit reported on Thursday of this week totaled $8 million in losses, when what seems to be a white hat hacker used a custom smart contract to swindle the core protocol into accepting non-sanctioned tokens as deposit into the liquidity system. Following the exploit the week prior on a different component, the team announced that the code would be audited by several blockchain security firms to identify any unidentified areas of concern. However, audits and the peer reviews that come after take a long time, months actually, and the protocol was relaunched which I don't necessarily agree with after what I can only assume were initial reviews of the code. This is a serious predicament for many projects. Either you face a long period of downtime as you go through a full audit and peer review cycle, or you go ahead and launch and risk new exploits that you haven't found yet. 
Obviously, the latter materialized in this latest exploit that we talked about for Thorchain. And what I want to say here is that this is something that's become almost normal in crypto, these exploits. But it shows the need to slow down, to audit code, to wait to launch until a full peer-reviewed audit is complete, because millions of dollars are at stake, potentially billions of dollars in some cases. People hate it when projects launch slowly to prove out and audit the code. Just look at the hate towards Cardano all the time. But it does materially reduce the chances of exploits. Mind you, it doesn't eliminate exploits of all kinds, nor should anyone claim it does, because it can still happen no matter how well audited you are, but it helps. Projects need to find a balance between launching on time and slowing down enough to make sure that these complex protocols are adequately audited and secured. Now, in a more positive light, Avalanche, the high-throughput proof-of-stake blockchain network, is doubling down on its mission, if you will, to enable a rich DeFi ecosystem to grow on the protocol by integrating Chainlink price feed oracles. Naturally, Chainlink is the most widely integrated ancillary technology to blockchain protocol and is used for the most critical part of DeFi, which is price feeds. DeFi protocols that match liquidity or calculate the value of an exchange pair or basically anything to do with crypto need an accurate, tamper-resistant view of the current market value of cryptocurrencies. Without this, DeFi does not work. And with bad price feeds, many exploits happen. So Avalanche taking steps to bring Chainlink into the fold only further supports the idea that Avalanche is going to be an appealing place for solidity-based dApps on Ethereum that need higher throughput to test the waters on a different blockchain. I believe that is the goal. The very first set of applications that I can see being built to support the composability of DeFi on Avalanche are stablecoins and lending platforms. Those are the foundation of DeFi on a new chain. So keep your eyes open on that. And I am a fan of both projects here, Avalanche and Chainlink, so I can't wait to see what happens. Okay. Next up is today's game of fact or FUD, where I take a piece of no good, very bad news and tell you whether it is fact or simply fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I am honestly shocked that I even have to address this one, but I've gotten several questions on it, so I figured, why not? This week, Celsius, the renowned crypto lending platform, announced it was shifting its headquarters and base of operations to Delaware in the US and away from the United Kingdom. Very suddenly, I might add. This prompted some concern about what was going on behind the scenes at Celsius, wondering if there's some sort of predicating factor that drove this decision that people should be concerned about. I think people were worried about their funds and the stability of their earnings therein, which, to be honest with you, I get. Despite a very clear press release on the Celsius blog making it clear that this choice was made in response to the continuously shocking regulatory uncertainty and crackdown happening in the UK right now relating to cryptocurrency, people were still, to say the least, uneasy about this and were asking me if it's a problem. Now, here is my unequivocal answer here. No, I don't think this is a problem. In fact, this shows that Celsius is being proactive in making sure that the regulatory, you know, sort of murkiness in their previous HQ jurisdiction did not affect service to the majority of their customers around the world. Of course, UK customers are inevitably going to be affected and already have been, but that's not really Celsius's fault. They're trying to proactively move so that they can figure it out for the rest of the, the, the world that they serve. Now, one thing I do think everyone needs to know and needs to think about 
is you must open the Celsius app right now, or at least as soon as you can to accept the new terms and conditions and privacy policy resulting from the change of operating jurisdiction. Please read those terms and policies. That is important no matter what you do. You should always read before you check the box. There's no concern here. I'm just saying always read. Get in the habit of knowing what you're signing. It's a legal document. If you do not do this before August 5th, your account will be more or less frozen, requiring you to reach out to customer support for withdrawals. And if no action is taken by August 19th, your account will be further restricted from earning rewards. It's just a whole pain in the butt. So just don't let this happen. Go check out the new terms and the privacy policy and make sure your account stays in good standing. Otherwise, folks, any crazy negativity about this news is just FUD, in my humble opinion. I would like to take a moment here now to shout out the sponsor of Crypto Over Coffee, my friends at Ledin, who help keep coffee in this cup and this light on. And I almost just spilled this on myself. Anyways, they offer these amazing platform to earn yield on Bitcoin and stable coins and access low interest loans. And we all know that. I've talked about this quite often. But one particular product they offer called B2X, which is available in select regions around the world, allows Ledin customers to effectively double their exposure to Bitcoin by taking a loan against a Bitcoin deposit to borrow an equal amount of Bitcoin. Hence, doubling one's holding. This move is not without risks, so be very careful in doing so. But should Bitcoin follow a positive price trend, your profits would also be doubled due to your doubled exposure to Bitcoin. This, of course, works in the opposite direction as well if Bitcoin drops down lower, so bear that in mind. But what this product is designed to do is to give folks who are positive about the outlook and Bitcoin's price growth to double their exposure to Bitcoin without outright buying it with cash. So it's basically a loan against what you already have. So for a limited time between now and August 1st, 2021, you can use B2X with zero admin fees. Again, be very aware of the risks involved if you do this, but I wanted to give you the news about zero admin fees for folks in regions where B2X is offered if you want to start and give it a try now. So know the risks, but if you want to do it, and it's supported in your region, zero fees right now in origination. So thank you to Ledin for sponsoring Crypto Over Coffee. Quick coffee break. Okay. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this episode of Crypto Over Coffee get some attention from the algorithm robots, please do hit the like button, get subscribed, or follow the podcast because it tells those robots that you're enjoying what you are listening to or what you are watching and others might also enjoy it. So thank you so much for that in advance. So today's illogical soup du jour, if you will, is this ever more prevalent idea across the world of crypto that because a project or a platform is decentralized in governance or run by a DAO, that it is immune from regulatory scrutiny or legal proceedings. As if a complete lack of regard for basic rules in a given jurisdiction can be absolved by saying, uh, well, we aren't a company, we're actually a DAO, so leave us alone. If you do not have a corporate entity behind you, there will always be those who stand out as leaders and core team members in the decentralized organization. And those people will ultimately be the ones who are targeted individually for regulatory and or legal proceedings should there be any. A decentralized autonomous organization or DAO is not some sort of catch-all mechanism to render legal or regulatory scrutiny moot. I mean, it makes the situation much murkier, but that's about it. Now, I'm all for the idea of DAOs and decentralized governance for a wide variety of things, 
The illogical part of this, though, is pretending like this structure is a get-out-of-jail-free card, literally and figuratively. My fear is that this unrealistic viewpoint is going to cause serious shock when one day a regulator somewhere might open proceedings against prominent figures in a DAO for a crypto project that said, we are a DAO, so we're immune to this, and then set an example out of them. The worst thing is when expectations do not meet reality, and a healthy dose of skepticism is required on both ends of the spectrum here. It's exciting to see DAOs, but it's also not a one-size-fits-all solution. These are gray areas that will be made clear in time. But for now, be very skeptical of exaggerated claims in either direction. For now, my assertion is that the idea that a DAO is a one-size-fits-all solution to avoiding regulatory scrutiny or legal proceedings is a 404 Logic Not Found. And by the way, the very first episode of the standalone 404 Logic Not Found show is coming this week, folks. This Wednesday 404 Logic Not Found show, and I've actually got one more new show coming out. It's going to be sweet. I'm not going to give you much more details about that, but it's going to start bridging the gap between traditional finance, personal finance, and crypto all in one line. So we've got a lot more coming on the channel. Really appreciate everything that you do to support this channel, to support the work that I do. Uh, Thank you. Genuinely, thank you. It's not a joke. It's not something I say lightly. Genuinely, thank you. So Thank you again for watching this episode of Crypto Over Coffee and any others that you have watched or listened to. And if you have some time to stick around, please do check out this video right here about iTrust Capital, a fantastic way for U.S. crypto investors to get tax-advantaged or tax-free crypto trades in the context of a retirement account. So I will link that here for you to click if you've got some time. Otherwise, thank you so much. I hope you and your family have a fantastic week and weekend ahead. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.